it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Hello, everybody. Uh, now, to say right at the start, okay, next week I cannot do the podcast as normal reacting to, for example, the German Masters. So this podcast, I'm going to call it a two-part special, because if you call something special, even if it isn't, it doesn't matter. Um, so essentially, it's all emails. If you've sent an email and you don't hear it this week, you will hear it next week, but there'll be a certain cut-off in, uh, in terms of the time I have to record next week's podcast. So you may find that if you send it in at the end of this week, it won't get read out until a future date. That's very confusing. What I'm saying essentially is I'm not going to be around next week to do the podcast, sort of reacting to things that have happened. So there'll be emails this week. There'll be emails next week. As I say, if you don't hear, your, hear yours this week, it's no judgment. It's just we're saving them up for next week. Also, I've got to go out in about 40 minutes. Now, that's no one's business, I know. But what I'm saying is I may have to rush through the ones we have here. Um, the good news, and this is extraordinary to, to, to me, is that apparently the podcast listening figures are the highest ever. Now, I don't know why that is, because it's been no good for months. So <laughs> a lot of people would argue. But I think what it is, actually, our good friends at Sports Social have got it on more platforms. And people are, people are saying all the time they're discovering it. And, um, yeah, so that's great to hear. And uh, thank you, everybody, for your continued support. Now, we should get on to important matters. So same for Faye, of course, winning the shootout. Fantastic achievement, historic achievement. First player from Iran to win a televised event, and I was delighted for him. Obviously, he got there, um, and he had sad news. His grandmother had passed away. He's very close to her. He reminded me a little bit of Dennis Taylor, actually. He won his first big title, the Grand Prix in 1984, just after his mother had passed away. He actually withdrew from the prior event, the International, and didn't want to play in the Grand Prix, and his family said, you, you know, go and play. And he did, and he just focused on playing, and he won. It was very emotional, and Hussein we saw as well was emotional but that's one thing the bereavement is a big thing in itself but just the struggle he'd had to get on the tour to get visas to play coming from Iran it's not been easy at all and what a wonderful story great player I think and hopefully he will continue to thrive now he's going to be in the players championship and you know if he does well in that potentially get in the tour championship brilliant for snooker you know Iran is a big market snooker is popular there and uh, just terrific so I, I thoroughly enjoyed the four days but what did our listeners make of the shootout I'm going to read three emails here and then I'll uh, add some comments at the end of it so we've got a mixed bag of comments let's start with something positive and upbeat for a change (laughs) Paul Prescott 
Just wanted to say how much I enjoyed the snooker shootout. World Snooker Tour and Eurosport did a fantastic job creating a really exciting and entertaining tournament. Highlights are as follows. Seeing so many lower-ranked professionals that we don't see so much of and seeing just how good they are. The spotlights, lasers and even the lights around the table legs looked great and really suited the tournament. Great atmosphere and crowds really added to things. I enjoyed seeing the bits in between frames where members of the audience got involved in competitions and the interactivity with members of the audience getting them playing the bongos or air guitar, etc. All good fun and again really suited the tournament. The 360 camera... 360 degree camera floating above and all around the table was a revelation and I hope to see it in other tournaments too. I was so pleased to see Hussain Vafai win, especially what he must have been going through and all the difficulties that he must face on a regular basis. He thoroughly deserved the win. He was so cool in all his matches and the breaks he made under the intense pressure he must have been feeling were wonderful. I also thought he came across really well in his interviews. Looking forward to seeing how his career progresses from here. Even the BBC managed to get a story up at five minutes past midnight, although it's likely that his Iranian heritage had a lot to do with that. The absolute standout moment of the whole competition, though, was the same, going over to the trophy at the end of the table and grabbing it and celebrating and posing for photos, totally oblivious to the presentation party still assembling behind him. That was priceless. Thank you, Paul. John Doran. He writes this, My first exposure snooker was the final of the 1978 World Championship when Ray Reardon defeated Perry Mans. I was 11 at the time and I don't remember too much about it. My real serious interest in the game started when I became aware of Steve Davis at the 1980 UK Championship. Ever since then, my interest has not waned. The snooker coverage on Eurosport and the revived coverage on ITV4 have made it possible to see so many tournaments now and I'll basically watch any snooker uh, that I can. I even found the Championship League, recently shown on Free Sports, to be fascinating. But I can no longer watch the shootout, which is a real pity, because the format is actually very good. It's different, but not too different. It's very exciting and gives the chance to see a lot of players that one would not normally see. The problem I have with it is not, is not the noise of the crowd per se, but the nature of the crowd noise. I just can't stand the way it's descended into yobbish chanting. Frankly, I find it demeaning to the sport. A particular problem this year is that the commentators and players seem to be encouraging that yobbish element. Each to their own, I suppose, but I stopped watching it on the first day this year. Nick Cowie writes, I visited the shootout on Friday. Can you shed some light on the following? Why the change of venue? There's no parking. The facilities and catering were dreadful in comparison to Watford. The arena was excellent and the crowd were great value all day, but the bar catering was in a cold tent on the end of a building which resembled a village fete. I just wondered why this was. The venue is huge. On a positive note, it really was a great day, if you don't need food or warm coffee. Thank you, Nick. Well, on that point, yeah, I mean, I was talking about venues last year. The Morningside Arena, it's a basketball uh, venue. It's not a sort of big leisure centre that would have those facilities. And that is an issue for sure, because people, I've said this before, when you go out to snooker for the day, you, you want to get your money's worth, and that includes feeding yourself. And, you know, it is quite close to Leicester City Centre, but there's not, I've been to the morning side many times. There's not restaurants up opposite or anything. It's kind of down a back alley, really. It's out of the way. Um, so there's not a lot of stuff, you know, really close by. Um, so why it changed venue, I don't know. It was in Watford. I thought it went down quite well there. Um, but, you know, venues are not always easy to get on the dates you want them. And, uh, you know, the pandemic clearly hasn't helped. In terms of the crowd, we heard two different uh, views there. Um, I have no problem with them for this event I understand people feeling it's a bit boorish at times and you know it's not the snooker we've all grown up watching but it is particular to this event it doesn't mean it's going to come into every tournament uh, it won't and actually interestingly there were key moments certainly on Sunday when 
the action was serious, where basically everyone was quiet, just watching. Um, it is the shootout. It's not for everyone. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, yeah, that's it, really. I really enjoyed it, and I thought the atmosphere was good. But I, I, interestingly, here's an interesting thing, I think. When I, when I, before I went to it and just watched it on TV, I kind of could see that point. It, did, it didn't always come across great. But actually, when you're there, it's far more good-natured than I think people realise. Not always. A couple of times it gets a bit... The line is crossed and a few people get thrown out. But actually, when you're there, it doesn't feel so bad. But maybe watching on TV, that doesn't always, uh, that doesn't always come across. I agree with the, uh, the comments about the, the new camera. I thought that was fantastic. And we must um, credit our friends at Loop Productions who do the, the, the production for some of these tournaments. And they've come up with that. you know, And that's an innovation we've never seen before. And I'm sure the other broadcasters will take note. And I'm sure that's not the last, uh, not the last we'll have seen of that. By the way, speaking of venues, as we were there, Matt Tarrant sent me a picture of the Derby Assembly Rooms, which I, I, I sort of claimed had burnt down. Apparently it's not. It is closed. It's been closed for a couple of years. Um, my, myself and Alan McManus suggested we might go around the country visiting, because we went to the Norbrecht, of course, in Blackpool. We might go around the country visiting various places. Uh, so pa- apparently that is still there, which is good Good to know. Um, now, the Masters, of course, we spoke about, well, we, as if <laughs> I spoke about last week. And people emailed in about because, of course, that was a fantastic event. Um, yes, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just reading another email here from Dave Tindall, our friend, uh, which I managed to miss somehow. And uh, he, well, let's read this one because Dave has been good enough to write in. I'll come to the Masters shortly. Uh, it's almost as if this isn't planned. I mean, people being people be amazed. He says, it's the morning after the night before. I'm just back from the famous Northern Snooker Centre in Leeds. It was quite a week for the Northern regulars at the shootout. Sanderson, Lamb and Kuldas, Joe Hal made the last 32 Ollie Lyons reached the last 16. And best of all, Daniel Womersley enjoyed a shot run to the last eight before losing to the eventual winner, Hussein Vafai. Daniel's fine display scratched an itch. While I regularly say hi and have a little chat with another Northern regular, David Grace, I've always wondered who the youngest chap with the big mutton chops was, because I'd never seen him on TV. He'd grown his chops round into a full beard for the shootout, which is a slight shame, as with Josides, he looked like Gaz Coombs from Supergrass. He looked like a Gaz Coombs from Supergrass tribute act. Daniel is always in the Northern practising diligently, but seems a quiet lad. Peter Lyons is the life and soul of the Northern, and Peter, Ollie, Kuldesh and Sanderson brawl in the club on Monday morning. David Grace is normally first man in, but I guess he was still isolating, the reason for his withdrawal from the shootout, and also the reason why Daniel, as a late reserve, got a place in the field. There was no sign of Daniel, and I presumed he was putting his feet up after a big week. But as I left at 12.45, he walked through the door. I thought there might be some whoops or cheering, but they're a down-to-earth mob at the Northern, so he just wandered in with no fanfare. Anyway... I did manage to say, well played, and Daniel replied with a very humble, oh, thanks, mate, thank you. A top bloke, and I really hope this could be the start of something. Neil Folden commentary certainly seemed impressed with his cue action. I really enjoyed the shootout again. It took me a while to adjust, as to begin with, it just seems as if everyone in the UK with Tourette's has been rounded up and bust into Leicester. But once it became the norm, it was a great week. I particularly like the different camera angles. Surely in this day and age, this innovation could become commonplace in snooker coverage soon. Well, yes, on the, I think we agree on the camera. Uh, the comment on Tourette's. If you have a problem with that, please direct it to Dave Tindall and not me. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, it's interesting you say about him walking in the club and no one saying anything. That is standard sort of in British snooker clubs. Terry Griffiths tells a story in his autobiography. Of course, he wins the World Championship at his first attempt. No one expected him to in 1979. A couple of days later, went back in the club, put his name down for whatever table, and some old boy in the corner said, here he is, world champion, putting his name down. Who does he think he is sort of thing? As if to say, we're not impressed, Terry, that you've just become world snooker champion. Uh, anyway, so that's not uh, that's not unusual. But let's now talk about uh, the Masters. 
I've had an email from Mark and John here who said we were fortunate enough to be at Alexandra Palace on semi-final Saturday enjoying the match between Mark Williams and Neil Robertson. At the end of the deciding frame when the black and red were over the pocket and Neil needed two snookers, we wondered why Mark didn't attempt to pop the red and black at the same time when the white was directly behind them. This would of course give seven points away but remove eight possible points from the table as the red wouldn't be put back and no miss would be called as snookers were required. Is this not legal or is it simply unsportsmanlike? Your views will be greatly appreciated. Well, a lot of people have actually... I've read a lot of people saying this very thing that Mark could have attempted if he'd have got in position to try and take the red off the table in that invi- in that scenario. Um, I don't think he would ever have considered it. it it's, it's legal, but it would be... I can imagine the backlash that would have been because it's essentially, it's essentially a deliberate foul where you're engineering a position where you're taking the red away that makes it harder then, obviously, for Neil Robertson to, to win the frame. Um, I'm pretty sure years ago at the Crucible, John Parrott had a similar choice of shot against Steve Davis. They drew each other in the first round. And, I, 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 I mean, again, I should have looked this up. But there was some scenario where he could have taken the, red, the last red off the table to his benefit. And there would have been a discussion about that at the time. Um, I don't think Mark would ever have considered doing that. Um, he's just not that sort of person. Um, but it, it was an option, I, I guess. Uh, Brian Dobson. He says, I've just listened to your Come On Baby Yeah episode reviewing the Masters. That was last week, of course. And I'm in full agreement with your review of the tournament. The quality of play was simply exceptional. The crowds were enthusiastic. And it firmly established Alexandra Palace as the home of this prestigious invitational event. However, having visited on the Wednesday to watch both the Trump v. Allen match and the Bingham v. Wilson match, I was very disappointed by the questionable hospitality for such a high-profile event. The on-site bar, which is simply impossible to get served at peak times, was very expensive there was no facility to pre-order that I could see. The memorabilia section was poor and the queue zone was closed off and mainly unoccupied, except when Jack Nazowski and Ken Doherty did a small piece to camera. The venue itself was cold, there was no on-site bookmaker as there had been when Daffabet sponsored the event, and the erected seating was very uncomfortable, and my partner felt exactly the same way. At the end of the afternoon match, the two of us walked into Muswell Hill to eat and drink and walked back again due to the aforementioned poor facilities. The quality of the two matches were exceptional, however, both going the full distance of 11 frames, each representing excellent value for money. My comment is, is that my viewing? My comment is that my viewing experience would have been greatly enhanced had these small matters been rectified or had been to a greater standard. I've been fortunate to attend the Crucible on many occasions where the seating, refreshments, and general hospitality were of a far greater standard. I believe the Masters has definitely found its home at Alexandra Palace, but I feel there are huge strides still to be made into making spectators feel more at home and giving better value in the quality of the experience overall. Will Snooker Tour were keen to get my feedback after the event, but I don't really know if I'm the only person that feels that way or if this was a common thread. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, either at this particular tournament or to the venues. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed the actual snooker. I've sort of spoken before about the things around snooker um, when you go to a tournament. It's not just the matches, it's everything else, the experience. The seating's interesting because, of course, the Crucible's a theatre where traditionally you know, you have actually nice seating, Alexandra Palace, obviously, you know, they have essentially temporary arenas. They put seating in when required for whatever events they have. Um, so I'm sorry that, that it didn't seem very comfortable. Um, I can't necessarily comment on the venue facilities. Some of those, I know we always seem to be using the pandemic as an excuse for everything now, but some some of those may have been down to the pandemic, some of the, the, the other issues. Um, I'm not surprised to hear that an on-site bar in London is expensive. <laughs> That's not a surprise. But yeah, pre-ordering would have definitely helped. Um, I mean, when you go to the theatre, for example, you, you can definitely do that. Um, memorabilia, it's interesting you mentioned that because 
I think it was Talking Snooker podcast pointed out there's a website um, where you can buy memorabilia, official memorabilia, and it is horrendous how bad it is. It's just mugs and T-shirts, very poorly presented. Um, definitely something snooker, with, particularly when you think of <laughs> the nostalgia in snooker. It's definitely something that could be improved. This week, the German Masters is on in Berlin. I won't be there in, in person, but when I have been in normal pre-pandemic times... If you go out, out of the arena to the front of house, the foyer, that is packed with memorabilia, that is packed with things to buy. It's a great area to just be amongst snooker fans. They're selling food, they're selling posters, books, all sorts of things, and people mill around there and they chat and they buy stuff. That's the best tournament on the circuit for that, and that is certainly something that you'd like to see at every tournament. Um, they can be a bit sorry, those memorabilia stands. Dave Johnston Allen used to run it years ago. He had a nice stand, Dave, and he used to chat with people. And um, Mark, his son, uh, famously beat Stephen Hendry three times out of three. He also worked on it. And that was a nice little meeting point for people. And, yeah, it, it, that was, it was good then. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure it's as good now, to be honest. But that's, these are all things that I think would enhance. You know, you paid whatever you paid for the ticket, 40 quid, 50 quid, whatever it is. You want to see good snooker. But yeah, you want to sit in comfort, you want a food and drink available, you want other things to do between matches, things to buy. For example, now they only do a programme at the three Triple Crown events, the UK Masters and World Championship. Programmes are excellent as well, you know, really good, really well produced by World Snooker, but they don't do them for other tournaments, which I find odd. Um, you're trying to add value, and actually you're also making money potentially off them because people are paying for them. So these are all things that could definitely be worked on, um, but anyway, I'm glad that overall uh, you enjoyed the Masters because it was uh, it was a great event. Now, Darren, I'm going to say it's either Letham or Letham. Sorry, Darren, I should know this. I'm going to say Letham, but if it's not, then I've given the other. I've given the alternative. He said, "I love listening to the podcast. I do enjoy a very subtle form of sarcasm while walking around." I can't. I, I don't. I don't know about that, Darren. But anyway, I'm doing. I'm doing a charity virtual walk from Lands End to John O'Groat, so it's always an enjoyable listen while I'm getting some miles in. People must wonder who this nutter, grinning insanely is as I walk past them with my headphones in, chuckling at some of the comments. Well, uh, good, good luck with the, the walk. He says, anyway, my own question is regards scheduling. In the last podcast, there was a very good question regards Ronnie being on in the afternoon due to BBC requesting it. Now, are Eurosport totally innocent of arranging schedules to suit too? I'm thinking of the amount of times we see Ronnie and Judd both play twice on the same day during the Home Nations matches. They are both invariably on in the afternoon last 32, and evening, last 16, while other players get shunted out to table two or worse. We've had the situation twice, uh, not once, but twice this season, of the world champion and world number one getting pushed off to table two. Is that dis disrespecting the sport's world champ? I know Mark Selby isn't as flamboyant as the other two, and I know he doesn't put bums on seats like Ronnie and Judd. From a personal point of view, I'm a fan of Mark Selby as both a player and a person. I think he carries himself very well. We had one instance during the English Open where the world champion was playing the reigning Masters champion. But was Selby v Yan shown on the main table? No, Ronnie and Judd's games were, and against players ran considerably lower than them. In fact, they won 4-0 and 4-1. I can understand a commercial channel wants to show the games that get the largest crowds, but are the matches chosen often not the ones that are most eye-catching to the snooker fan? It's nothing against Ronnie or Judd. I love to watch them play as much as the next man. I just sometimes feel that Mark Selby gets unfair treatment when he's the sports world champion and an all-time great. Look forward to listening to you whilst I'm power-walking around and moving up the country virtually. Right, it's a virtual walk, is it? Okay, so you're not actually. Yes, I get it now. You're not actually walking through uh, through the uh, through the streets of Britain. Okay, fine. Um, yes, well, these are fair points, I think. Um, 
the problem with the home nations really is the format. You get that, as you say, you get that day where there's two rounds, and if those two are left in, it's quite hard to say we're not going to put them on because they do attract viewers. Um, it's difficult. I mean, you're never going to please everyone. That's certainly true. One thing I would say is Table 2 is not in the car park. I mean, these Home Nations events, is literally just straight next to Table 1. There's a crowd around it. It's not... The only thing is it doesn't get the full broadcast coverage. And it is available to watch on you know, on the streaming, on you know, the Eurosport app, Discovery Plus and all of that. But yes, it, 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 when he played Yambing Tao, it did feel strange. One thing I do know, though, from talking to Mark is... He's not so bothered about going on table two. What he doesn't like is being on that second match in the evening because that can often start very late, you know, half, nine, ten o'clock. And that's no fun hanging around all, all, all the time to play that match. Um, so I think that to him, maybe that's more of an issue than, than being put on table two. We've got this this week. We may, by the time people listen to this, it may have happened. But as it stands right now, I've just been sent the order of play literally in the last 20 minutes for the German Masters. Tomorrow afternoon, Mark Williams playing Zhao Jingtong. Fantastic, you know, match, all-time great runner-up in the shootout last week against the new UK champion. But that's not on the main TV table. World Snooker are putting Kyron Wilson against Jimmy Robertson on because Kyron Wilson's higher-ranked. Now, we can speculate about whether the fact Kyron had a bit of a moan up at one of the tournaments that he was, he was always on the second table, whether that's come into uh, their thinking. A lot of people would like to watch Kyron Wilson against Jimmy Robertson. They're two fine players, don't get me wrong. But the glamour match in that session is clearly Mark Williams against Xiao Tong, and that match should be on table one, as far as I'm concerned. But it's not. Um, now, you know, I don't run Eurosport and I don't run World Snooker Tour, so I've got no influence at all. But I find some of these decisions baffling, frankly. Um, but like I say, you're not always going to please everybody. There'll be people saying, oh, we want to watch Karen Wilson, which is fine. Um, but yes, it's, these are good points. And by the way, I wasn't criticising the BBC. They can have the players whenever they want them. They're putting money in. But so are the other broadcasters. And maybe sometimes they don't maybe get what they want as often. Uh, but in terms of the home nations... It's a, it's a difficult balancing act when those two are still in because, um, you know, someone's going to miss out somewhere. And, of course, if you put Ronnie, for example, on table two, people will tune in and say, hang on, where's Ronnie O'Sullivan? We want to watch him. Not easy. These are not easy things, but, you know, decisions have to be made, I guess. We have another question about uh, sort of that aspect of the TV coverage. Adam Richards, he said, I love the podcast. I've listened from day one of its reincarnation. Can't find any editions of its first run, though. Are they available anywhere? As far as I know, every... Every edition is available certainly from Apple Podcasts, which you can listen. You don't have to be signed up; you can listen online for free. Um, so, as far as I'm aware, they are all there. But um, yes, and, and SoundCloud as well, the old SoundCloud account. I think I've still got them. Anyway, he says, "I'm just watching the snooker shootout. The finals about to start. Are in the studio. My question when analysing any tournament. Uh, my, my question when analysing any tournament, they play VTs of the best shots of that part, but fly through them that quick." They don't get the chance to discuss any individual shot. This has infuriated me for years. Why don't they get the chance to discuss the pots? But afterwards, they seem to be filling time with nothing. <laughs> well, they do have a yeah. They, we have a run of analysis based on, for example, at the interval, the first four frames, uh, for instance. The, the pundits in the studio will discuss them. To be fair, without sort of you know defending Eurosport, quite often they'll then go to the practice table, and Jimmy White, for instance, will try and recreate one or try and explain how it's played. I guess there isn't time to go through every shot. You know, it's just sort of it's it's just a sort of reminder of what's happened, really. Um, and again, audiences want different things. A lot of people would love to hear, you know, detailed description about why the shot was so important and how to play it. Other people are less interested in that. So when you're putting together a TV production, you've got to try and, I guess, find find a balance. Uh, we'll move on. Ryan Freeman, 
This is again to do with TV. This is an oddly specific technical question, but one that does intrigue me for some reason. When you're commentating and you're in the arena and can see the table in front of you, what percentage of time would you say you're looking directly at the table and what percentage are you watching a monitor which will show how it happens on the TV? Is there a preference at all for you? Uh, almost always, uh, Ryan, you look at the monitor and the reason is very simple is because you've got to commentate based on what people are watching at home. So if the camera's on, for example, Denise Higgins in the crowd and you're discussing some, you know, you've got to come off two cushions or, you know, and all this into the pack, you know, you're not talking about what people can see. Um, but obviously it's helpful if you're in the box to glance up. I like to. I always like to look at the players, their body language, particularly the player in his chair, you know, how he's doing, how he's thinking. Um, and, you know, you, obviously there are little things you can see that the director's not showing you, but in the main, when you're commentating, definitely uh, off the monitor. Uh, James Cook, the shootout, really enjoyed it. Lots of drama and a chance to see all 128 players in action, a great winner and all-round good entertainment. Now, last week, the lineup. Uh, he said the correspondent on the last podcast... Asked for advice on a good way to improve. I'm no expert, but from experience, the lineup drill helped me considerably. I went from a 30-ish break builder to a 50-ish by spending time on that drill. It trains you mainly on potting balls from the spots and helps a lot with positional play. Maybe the correspondent and his playing partner can turn it into a challenge in their three-hour weekly session to see how many reds with colours they can get. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a very standard. Um, way of, uh, of play you see professional players practicing the lineup they they've adapted it in different ways but that's i think that's all good good common sense from james and his final point he said i'm wondering about how the presenters and commentators are contractually tied to one broadcaster or another or if indeed they are for example we see stephen hendry on bbc and itv neil folds on eurosport and itv steve davis only on the bbc i think you work for both itv and eurosport anyway i guess some of you are freelancers and some are contracted to one or more broadcaster is that right i've always wondered well, James, uh, yeah, most are freelancers. I don't know everybody's circumstances, to be honest. I don't know who, if there may be some on exclusive contracts or not. These days in, in TV sport, most people tend to seem to be freelancers. I mean, years ago, in the sort of old days of just BBC and ITV, you were definitely one or the other. There was a, there was a weekend, uh, well, it must be a while, it was before ITV got the Grand National, but there was a weekend when Claire Balding presented the Grand National on BBC, and I think the next day the boat race on ITV. Um, now, there would have been a time when that would have been unthinkable. It may have been, Chan actually, it may have been Channel 4, the Grand National, and Boat Race, BBC. Either way around, she presented the two events on different channels. There was a time when that would be unthinkable, but now, no one really backed an eyelid because it's all just telly, isn't it? Um, so most pundits, I think, as far as I'm aware, are, are freelance and therefore they can uh, they can work for whoever whoever they choose and indeed whoever wants them. We'll do one more and then I do have to go, I'm afraid. But as I say, next week we will do the other half of the emails that have come in. So, as I say, if you haven't, yours hasn't been read out, it will be uh, next week. Tommy O'Pray said, A very happy new year to you and all the listeners. I hope it's not too late to say that. Firstly, can I say, I thoroughly enjoyed the Christmas special with Nick and Phil. What an absolute treat. If it was to become an annual event, I'm sure you'd have huge support. Yes, well, I, I enjoyed it. I was drinking the uh, the stolen wine, which was foul, but the uh, the chat was all good fun. Anyway, Tommy says to my question... At our local snooker club, we have a game we play locally called Ticket Pool. Basically, you have six bottle tops, each numbered two to seven, representing each of the coloured balls. At the start of the frame, you select a bottle top, piece of card, hence ticket, from a bag and discreetly have a look at it and put it in your pocket, not disclosing it to the other players. The object of the game is to protect that colour. The game is then played as normal without points, i.e. red, then colour, etc. When a colour is legally potted, i.e. after red, it stays in the pocket. If your colour is potted, you're out. 
If you accidentally pot your own colour, which normally happens when you're trying to trick the other players, you're out. It's like a game of poker on a snooker table as you try to protect the identity of your chosen ball. If all reds are potted and more than one player is left, you just add a couple more reds to the table. All the colours can be potted randomly to end the game quicker. Hopefully I've explained this well enough. It really is a lot of fun, especially with three or four players. And my question is, does anyone else play this game or are there any other games players play for fun on the table? Thanks again for your work in making our weekly podcast such a wonderful listen and I really hope to hear at least 200 more. Thank you, Tommy. I have to say I've not come across this myself. Many, many other listeners possibly have. I think a lot of people can relate to you know, coming up with different sort of games around snooker. I mean, let's be honest, snooker itself was invented initially by messing around with with existing cue sports. That's how snooker came to exist in the first place. Um, you know, there's all sorts of games people play. Pool, obviously, killer pool is, is one thing that people play. And people come up with their own little variations. So it'd be interesting to hear others. If anyone's played that one before, I don't know. But, um, yeah, any others, then, uh, then do let us know. Um... Is is the time? Is the time for one more or not? Uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Um, ah, there's one here asking what what I th- where I think Snook will be in ten years. That seems like a big question. Uh, we'll gloss over that one. Oh, let's go back to John Doran because he actually had two um, points. He made the point about the shootout. So let's complete his email. He said a few episodes ago, you compared the overall number of tournament wins. Of Ronnie O'Sullivan, Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis. It was interesting to be reminded of how successful and dominant Steve Davis was. Steve was my childhood sporting hero along with John McEnroe. The BBC recently showed some shots from his 147 at the 1982 Lada Classic, which was great to see. It's easy to forget just how good a player Steve was. It's true the game's moved on a lot since the 80s and the standard now is much, much higher, but Steve really could play. I find it a bit odd that I idolise Steve Davis so much because his style of play is not a style I particularly like in other players. And there are comparable players... Nowadays, e.g. Mark Selby. There was something else about Steve that was compelling and admirable. I also like him now as a pundit. While it's clear he doesn't keep in touch with the sport on a day-to-day basis, nevertheless his overall knowledge of the game and of competing at the highest level is always worth hearing. My favourite current player by far is Ronnie O'Sullivan, and I'm hardly unique in that. It's not just the elegance of his play or his brilliance or the fact that he plays the game in a way, you know, deep down is the way it should be played, but also some other quality. Perhaps the sense of vulnerability in him, or perhaps it's the particulars of his life story that draws fans to him. I always want to see Ronnie win, no matter who he plays. The only exception would be if Steve Davis was to come out of retirement and end up playing Ronnie. I would be unable to want Steve to lose to Ronnie. Such is the power of childhood heroes. Well, it's a nice email, isn't it? And, of course, they played in the Masters final, 1997, where Davis, well, at that time, was thought to be on his way out. He's actually only 39. And, I mean, Ronnie now... <laughs> he's 46 and he just you know he won a ranking event uh, quite recently the world grand prix but uh, yeah uh, listen we all look up to steve and you know he's uh, he, he is a legend of the game no no two ways about it uh, well we are going to end there but uh, thanks for the emails you can of course email us at snookersinpodcast at mail.com snookersinpodcast at mail.com as i say because of circumstance i'll be recording next week's podcast relatively early so uh, you know, there won't be any reflections i don't think on the german masters but anyway uh, keep your thoughts coming in. We are proud members of the Sports Social Network. Do check out their other podcasts. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, German Masters this week, live on Eurosport. Um, that business with the Mark Williams-Shanjing Tong match, that may, I, I, may, I may stick my oar in about that and see if I can bring any influence to bear because I do feel that should be on the TV. Um, it'll probably be a rotten match now <laughs> if it gets moved, but we'll see. You know, We'll see. We can only, we can only try. Um, but anyway, the main thing is we're going to Berlin, which is fantastic. Um, 
because all the snooker the last two years has been in the UK. The Temper Drum is a wonderful venue. We'll see how full it is, whether people will make the, make the journey or not. Uh, obviously, Germany has its own COVID uh, laws and restrictions, but it's great to think we're going back there. Maybe that's a sign, just a small sign of some sort of return to normality. I'm sure it'll be a great week. Enjoy the snooker. It's live on Eurosport. But for now, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.